I am Cheryl Josephson, and this is the Family Life Canada podcast. Family Life Canada exists to bring help and hope to every marriage and every family in Canada. And we know that's a very audacious uh, vision, but um, it's in our hearts to do. Uh, we have a staff of about 30 from coast to coast and about 4,000 volunteers. We call them home builders, people who are committed to helping the marriages and families in their communities. And this podcast is one of the ways that we provide resources to those, those people. So uh, we have... Fascinating people on this podcast, and today is one of the most interesting people I've met in a long time. Rosie McKinney is an author, a speaker, a blogger, but I got introduced to her through her book, which is Fight for Love. And I read the book and was just blown away by how uh, incredibly honest and helpful it was. And so I want to welcome Rosie McKinney to the Family Life Canada podcast. Hi, Rosie. Hi, thank you for having me. It's, It's exciting to be having this conversation with you. Over a decade ago, uh, you discovered that your husband, uh, your new husband, was um, involved in pornography. And the book chronicles your your own personal story, but then has some great wisdom, some great tools, and you call it a, a battle plan. Um, and, you know, I just need to say this before we get into it, but I, I wish... Where were you 30 years ago? Because pornography is part of our story, our marriage, and this book would have been such a lifeline to me in that season of our life. So I'm so grateful to you for writing it. So let's, I want to cover a lot of territory. Let's start with your story. This all started over a decade ago. Yes. Well, you said that I found out when we got married, but actually I knew going into it that Mm. he'd struggled in the past. But in my naivety, I thought because he was honest about this and he admitted that it was a problem, this was something he didn't want and that he dealt with it in the past, I didn't think it was going to be a problem going forward. And the reason that I had this sort of positive frame of mind over this, you know, quite significant issue was that prior to becoming a Christian, I had um, already been in a long-term relationship with an unrepentant porn addict. So I'd already done this journey. I had been on this merry gown before and I knew that with an unrepentant porn addict who refuses to even see it's a problem, who would turn it back on me um, and try and make me fix the problem mm. by competing with it or ignoring it or forgiving it or overlook, you know, I tried everything and nothing worked. So, and that relationship fell apart and it was extremely traumatic. So when I became a Christian and then I met my husband and he said, yes, I've struggled with porn, but you know, I certainly, you know, have battled very hard on this and I don't want this in, in, you know, our future. I thought, great problem Mm. solved. You know, everybody probably does it. Here's one who really doesn't want it. But then, you know, from the honeymoon, I recognized some of this, some of the signs, some of the because it's not just this theoretical, I, I don't like the idea of pornography. It's just distasteful. There are, it actually does affect that they affect the way that they interact with you. It affect the way that they view you. Some guys become withdrawn, sexually avoidant. Some guys become hypersexual. Some become angry, critical, resentful. I recognized, I thought, oh, I've seen some of these signs before. And I went, I, I cannot do this again. I cannot go through this again. I know how this plays out. And so I just put my foot down really early and said, enough. I love you and I love our marriage too much to let pornography wreck what we have. So you can have me or you can have pornography, but you can't have both. 
Wow. Okay. And this is like eight days into your marriage. <laughs> yeah. My parents were not good, happy. Good for, good for you though, because I think a lot of women, and, and I should just back up and say, we know that women struggle with pornography as well. And as a matter of fact, I think it's the fastest growing cohort of users. Uh, um, but for the purposes of this interview, we're going to talk about husbands who struggle and, and kind of how wives come alongside and how do battle with them. So, uh, but please understand, we recognize it's not a gender-specific problem. But I want to I, I want to just say that a lot of women don't think about it on after eight days of marriage. It takes them eight or ten years, which is my case, to kind of figure out and make connect the dots. Um, yeah, I think it's only because it was coming on the back end of being traumatized through the yeah. previous relationship that when this behavior, you know, the the criticalness and the resentfulness and you know, issues in the bedroom. And I'm like, I've done this before. I cannot do it again. So I already had that sort of compacted trauma, which gave me this sort of like, I think it was just like this post-traumatic stress reaction mm -hmm. of like, enough, I, I'm not going around this again. So I, I so then what happened? You said enough. Yeah, then I said enough. Happened? And, um, and then, uh, I made it very clear that I was not going forward, even though I had given up everything in order to get married and move to America, I'd given up, you know, a job I love, my family, my country, my name, like everything. It was like, I, I was just adamant. I'm not going to put myself in this situation again. And I was fortunate because he was done. He had mm. already lost, lost a previous marriage and he was ready. He was like, mm. he didn't want to lose me and he was ready to get help and do whatever it took. So in that respect, I was really, really lucky. We kind of had the, the trajectory that every couple has, but ours was like split over a couple of relationships. So I inadvertently did early intervention, but completely accidentally, which is why I know that it works. It is possible. So my whole goal is to educate and empower women with like the faith and the facts to actually do early intervention because I know it works, but mm. you don't, you, you wouldn't say that you, no, nobody would call you on day eight unless you'd had that prior experience and, or unless you had been educated and supported and encouraged and empowered to actually stand up early in your marriage and say, hey, we know where pornography goes. I've read all the research. I've talked to enough women. We need to deal with this hole in the boat now. Yay. Good for you. <laughs> good for you. Uh, because again, most of us uh, don't want to confront it. We kind of avoid it. We think maybe we can fix it. And we spend years trying to um, handle this. And meantime, the problem is growing deeper and the, the habits are growing. The brain neural pathways are becoming more rutted and more rutted and, and the problem just gets worse and worse. So let's talk a little bit about um, the problem of pornography in marriage. I mean, what are the effects of pornography in a relationship? Why is it so destructive? The interesting thing is, one question I quite I get off, asked and often is, how much porn is too much porn? Mm. You mm. know, and the answer is very simple. All porn is toxic. They've done studies where they exposed, you know, a control group and a user group to a, a little amount of porn, maybe an hour of porn for one hour a week for six weeks. And then they, and then they interviewed them and said, how do you now view your partner in terms of sexual attractiveness, performance, general happiness with the relationship? And in every case, even after that small exposure to porn, everybody scored far um, lower. They rated their partner lower. So even a small amount of porn is damaging the way that your partner views you. And, you know, you know, most people aren't watching one hour a week. 
you know, that there's a there's a lot lot of heavy porn use going on because, as you said, the way that affects the brain, it's highly highly addictive. So, how does it affect relationships? Well, you have to understand that this is um, a process addiction, and the effects are that it makes you deceitful because you're trying to hide it. It makes mm. you depressed because it lowers your baseline tolerance of happiness. So you actually need your drug now to actually feel normal. Um, it makes you dissatisfied, as I'd said, and it also makes you dumb. There's a condition called hypofrontality that you get with a car crash or through heavy porn use, which actually affects the way that you think about things. It affects the um, effectiveness of the prefrontal cortex. So you can no longer think logically and rationally. Hmm. So what is it like living with a guy who's deceitful, dumb, depressed, and dissatisfied? It's, <laughs> you know, you tell me, it's it's so horrific. So when I hear people go, well, what a wife doesn't know doesn't hurt her. I'm like, are you kidding me? She's living with a guy who is manifesting all these um, symptoms caused by the fact his brain's been hijacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love your the analogy in your book about... Um, because of all of these changes in the brain, it's it's virtually impossible for our our partners, our husbands, to will themselves out because their logic isn't isn't helping this process. And I like I, I, I like you know we wouldn't send a we wouldn't tell a cocaine addict that you know th- that he had to cure himself or that willed himself out of that addiction. Uh, exactly, exactly, and we wouldn't also tell the wives that if you could become the cocaine that would be really helpful because then he won't need to go and get the artificial cocaine because he's got you. And it's like, no, no, that is not the reaction. We don't tell that to wives of alcoholics. We don't say, can you become the bottle of vodka? It's like, you, you, the idea is not to become his pornography. They are two, marital sex and the use of pornography, they're completely different experiences doing different things to the brain and they're not interchangeable. And, and one is not, a lack of one is not responsible for the usage of the other. Hmm. So it changes, obviously, your sexual relationship. It changes the the, the man you're married to. Um, the divorce statistics are pretty significant that that uh, there's a direct correlation between pornography use and divorce. Yeah, the, the Association of Matrimonial Lawyers did a survey and they said that in 64% of cases, obsessive porn use was cited as a contributing factor. And I did the math on this, and this is quite an old statistic. And back then, I think it was early 2000s that this statistic, it worked out as like half a million divorces a year. So I can only imagine what the statistic is now. And uh, they've done other studies that prove the longer the porn is married, uh, start that one again, the longer (laughs) the porn is present in your relationship, the unhappier you both become. Mm-hmm. Not just with your sexual relationship, but um, within all areas, like your decision making, uh, you yeah. know, how you make decisions together. It affects every single area, not to mention makes you more likely to have an affair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is serious um, stuff. Yeah. And I love that about your book. You do you do not dismiss this as, you know, boys will be boys or men will be men. And <clears throat> you call it. <laughs> this is we have an enemy. This enemy is destroying not just marriages, but destroying people. Absolutely. And porn actually damages everybody all the way around. Um, you know, and, and when I hear it sort of compared to, well, you know, it's just it's just a temptation that all guys struggle with. It's like, no, this is violent, misogynistic sexual exploitation of the most vulnerable people in our society. This is 
you know, sin on a, an enormous magnitude that is really damaging people. And we need to take it that seriously and not just sort of have this sort of inevitable shrugging of our shoulders and, oh, you know, all guys struggle with this. You know, mm. you've just got to accept it in your marriage, you know, accepting, expecting a porn-free marriage in the 21st century is just unrealistic and it's a bit naive. It's like, no, a porn-free marriage is totally possible. And that is the message that we should be giving to people to give them hope to fight Mm. Now, obviously you refer to sin and I know that you write and you live from a Christian context, as do I. Um, and so, but some people would say Christians are just hung up. We're just hung up sexually and we kind of, you know, all of our hangups come to be directed towards pornography. That's the big evil. On the other hand, I, I was reading in your book, a, a Josh McDowell quote, who says it's the greatest threat to the cause of Christ in the history of the world. So how do you put all that together? It's not about being a prude. It's about being prudent because we're not talking mm. about sex. We're talking about, as I said, this, you know, violent, degrading sexual exploitation. That, that, that it's completely different experiences for completely different purposes. And, you know, Josh McDowell was absolutely right. He discovered in his um, enormous study that he did, you know, what did he spend $300,000 mm, to get mm, the data of what's <laughs> happening in the American church? And he found that 79% of guys who attend evangelical church regularly use pornography. 55% of married guys. This is eating us alive. But mm -hmm. not only have we got half the church now paralyzed because they're doing porn, we've got the other half paralyzed through shame and fear and being traumatized because they're living with this and don't know what to do with it. And, you know, as you mentioned before, wives, you know, people are sort of under this assumption that wives are just sitting there, like not doing anything. And I'm like, are you kidding? They are fighting so hard, but they're just fighting in the wrong ways, ineffectively. You know, they're trying to compete with it or they're trying to overlook it or they're trying to become the perfect wife yeah. who has the perfect house, which will create this atmosphere of total love and he won't need to look at porn. And it's like, I wish that was the case, but he's not doing it of that. He's doing it for the this thrill, the the you know this injection of dopamine that he gets when he does it. That he's addicted to. He can't help it. So tell tell us a little bit about your way back. How how did you and your husband do battle with this enemy in your lives? How did we do it? Well, it was I was lucky in that he was willing. So he jumped straight back into, re into recovery and um, saw a CSAT, a certified sexual addictions therapist, joined groups, as many groups as he could. And he was immediately hooked into fellowship and a, you know, a, he had a brilliant sponsor. He was a mm. very gruff, grumpy. I think he was giving up alcohol at the time, but he was, so he was like messing. He was, he was very, he was very <laughs> direct. And he just used to say, you're crazy you know, go back and make her a cup of tea and shut up, which is what he needed. He needed someone to actually speak truth and, you know, light into him and life. But for me, there wasn't a community and mm. I could see the difference that it had on him. And then we went to a 12 step retreat for a weekend. This was mm. New Year's Eve. This was my romantic New Year's Eve. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> fun. I know I used to go to parties, but not anymore. Um, and <laughs> I had never, I had never been in a 12 step group. You know, I'd only seen them on the television and was a little bit apprehensive, but I was like desperate at this point. And that weekend I'd say was the most pivotal of, of my entire life because I finally understood that everybody was broken. 
you know, myself Mm -hmm. included, and that it was okay to be broken and that it was okay to talk about it and that there was incredible freedom and love and acceptance available when you tell the truth. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I just saw this room of broken, honest, open people, and it just changed something in me. And I wanted to take that home with me. It's like, I didn't want to leave, you know, that, that sweetness, Mm -hmm. that authenticness. It felt like the rest of my life was like a sham where I was sort of putting on this happy, smiley face, but here was a place I could actually be me and be hurting Mm -hmm. and be broken and be questioning and confused and everything else. And it was okay. So then when we came back, I sent my husband with little notes to give to the guys at his groups to give to their wives and say, Hey, (laughs) do you need support? Because I need support. Do you want to come for supper? And so we just started a little group of four and then it grew to 16 and then it just snowballed from there. And, and those early groups were so powerful because I managed to recreate that special environment Mm. in my own living room with these 16 Mm. women who also said, and we've got women there from 20 to 70, they'd never experienced anything like it because they'd never actually come clean about what was really going on in their marriage. And that was everything. That's probably the thing I hear most is just, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Who do I trust? Is there, is there any help? Is there any place where I can be honest about this? And, and, and truly there, there wasn't. Uh, decades ago for some of us who've been married longer, there there was no place. Um, so t- tell us a little bit, I, I want to go through some more of the steps of healing, but but just tell us about your Facebook fellowship page. So that's what I wanted to recreate because it was all very well giving people a book with the information. And, it, you know, mm-hmm. it is like a biblical, it's kind of part cliff notes with some sort of science. It's part my story, memoir, and then it's part this biblical battle plan, really sort of equipping and, and encouraging but that's all theoretical. What I wanted was to, A, we created the podcast, which gives you uh, sort of an easy way to glimpse what recovery sounds like and feels like. And you, because it's a panel, there's four, there's five of us on the team. It's a bit like The View, but we just talk about pornography. Um, <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> um, but you hear the hope and the laughter and the tears and you go, oh, that's what recovery sounds like. And I've had people say who've listened to it, you know, friends who didn't need to listen to it, but they've listened to it and they went, that sounds a really cool group. I'd like to belong to them. I don't want the issue. However, right. I'd quite like the fellowship. Um, but and the, fe- and the fellowship group, we wanted to then bring people listening into that loop so that we can create this safe place for people to actually just come and hang out and actually tell other people for the first time, this is what's going on in my marriage. And then other people go, Hey, me too, me too. It's okay. And then other people a little bit further up the ladder going, it's okay. It gets better. You know, not to guarantee that your marriage is going, you know, that your husband is going to get on board and do what he needs to, but that you are going to be able to find solid ground and that you are going to be able to build the future with emotional safety. Hmm. How do you, how do you counsel women whose husbands don't want to change or aren't willing to go after it? I think what really helps is to understand that they have been completely hijacked because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot Your of husbands the, have been completely hijacked. Yes. 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 The husbands have, the husband's brain has been completely hijacked. So of course they don't want to get better. You know, they've got this hyperfrontality. They, their brains are literally not thinking straight. And even though it's like, this is going to save you marriage, this is going to save your job, this is going to, you know, all these things, it's like, doesn't matter, porn is screaming in my head that this is the only way I can find uh, uh, 
peace. I can own it's, it's porn is the answer to everything. So that's what their brains are screaming. You know, this sanity and rational doesn't come into it. So once you understand that, it makes sense why he doesn't want to get into recovery right now. However, we still need to do something because there's a massive hole in the boat. And what you need to do is set boundaries. And it's hard to set boundaries off the bat because A, mm. we've been traumatized and beaten down for years of living with this stuff. So what you need to do is get support. And that the best thing you can do for your marriage, if your husband doesn't want to get into recovery himself, is you find support. You put on your oxygen mask. You start clearing the fog and become encouraged and inspired by other women who are doing exactly the same thing. And the boundaries are you actually, from a Christian perspective, you obeying the word of God. He's no longer following, you know, what is right for him. He's not following the healthy boundaries that God put around sex, but you can, because in marriage two become one. And if he's looking at pornography, it's polluting you and it's polluting the marriage bed. So you're commanded to keep yourself pure. And it says in the Bible that we can, we can help our husbands, you know, to into repentance, not that we make them repent, Mm. but by standing firm and keeping ourselves pure and keeping our minds pure and, and, and following the word of God and putting those boundaries and standing firm. And that inevitably is the thing that gets guys into recovery. My husband, he's a CSAT and he says, the majority of married men end up in his office with the footprint of their wife on their back. It's just what happens. You know, like I said before, it's either we're doing crisis management. We've had years of this betrayal cycles and trauma and everything. And we just get to the end of our rope and we're near a divorce and we're like, enough, I can't do this anymore. Or we do early intervention. We either do it accidentally like I did because I'd been around this merry-go-round before, or you do it through education and support. And I really, really want to encourage women that it is possible. The earlier you can set those boundaries, the earlier you can stand firm and have this zero tolerance policy on porn in your marriage, the better for everybody, the better for your heart, the better for your relationship, the better for his brain, the better for your children, the better Mm. for your future. Stand firm now as soon as you can, but you can't do it on your own. You're going to need, you're going to need help. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very challenging thing to do. So to have people in your life who are encouraging you and supporting you, you can do this. I, I can hugely see the value of that. Can you talk a little bit about the, um, the bound, some specific boundaries to, to build into your relationship early on? Well, I would say if you know that your husband has been watching pornography, you know, ask yourself the question, why would you then want to be intimate with him physically? I'm not, you know, advocating that wives say, I'm never having sex with you again. However, you know how it makes you feel. And now, you know, the, the science is there backing up your instincts and saying the more porn a guy watches, the more he has to be thinking about pornography to maintain his arousal. That's the facts. We know it on a gut level. It's like I've had wives say to me so many times, I just don't know where he is. And I say mm. to him, where are you? Where are you? Or we've got, so that's, you know, the 50% of guys who become hypersexual, the other 50% become sexually avoidant. They've been avoiding their wives for years. And this is so devastating so devastating for wives because they naturally assume it's because they're not attractive enough or they're not adventurous enough or he's just gone off them and it it really doesn't matter if you looked and acted like a porn star because they've come forward and said my partner still prefers porn over me it 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 really isn't you Hmm. If you could just say that in capital letters, that would be so helpful to so many women. It's not 
you. And it's not I, even him. It's mm, porn. Yeah. So, which leads me to my next question. So if, if you, you have a, you've established that this is an enemy that you both share and you, you both agree that you, he, he's not just uh, wanting, but willing to go after this. Uh, I love all of the battle language you use in, in your book. You talk about, you know, it's an enemy. We need weapons. It's an assault. And so how do we fight this battle? Once we both get to the place where we acknowledge it is, it is an enemy and we want to do battle. You, you walk through some steps and I don't expect you to give us all the steps in this podcast because people should read your book. It's amazingly good. Uh, but can you just give us a little overview of what that process looks like? The restoration, healing, recovery journey. Well, recovery is actually very simple. It's not easy, but it's really simple. And I wouldn't even call it straightforward because it often is circuitous and it, it sort of comes in, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Is that the right way around? One step forward, two step backs. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's circuitous, <laughs> um, but it's actually very simple. It's simply tell the truth. Walk in the light, a hundred percent, past, present, going forward. You know, there's there's a beautiful biblical principle there. You know, from one John one seven, walk in the light as He is in the light, and then you have fellowship, and the blood of His Son Jesus Christ will cleanse you from your sin. When we tell the truth then we have fellowship, not by just um, going to an accountability group or, uh, sorry, not just not by going to a group where we don't have to tell the truth because there are those groups out there and they're more Mm. sympathy groups than recovery groups. You need a really strict group for the guys, a really strict group who is going to insist that you can't come in unless you do a full disclosure to your wife. So your wife actually has to know the whole truth as well. And that is going to be so validating and so hard and so <laughs> hard to hard. hear and hard point. to do really and i love hard. your i love in the book you've kind of outlined kind of the parameters of a healthy disclosure what 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 should be included what doesn't necessarily need to be included it's great i i, I won't get you to walk through all of that but it's it's really really helpful yeah um but the disclo- it starts with disclo- disclosure the, yeah. the the recovery starts with that that's like a massive spotlight on the issue. It's like mm-hmm. what has been going on. So that's like the, the full, uh, brightest spotlight you can imagine. Actually, what are we dealing with? And that's like ground zero. So now everything is out and, and that needs to happen. So um, and, and then you go forward and there are other things you can do, like a period of celibacy. So you learn how you've actually been using sex and uh, you develop other ways of becoming intimate you know, without using sex. Um, There are things like a safety plan that the wife puts in place so that if the guy does slip and and slips, I wouldn't say they are a part of recovery, but they do happen sometimes. And then don't necessarily mean that you're going backwards if he tells the truth, if he tells the truth within the allotted amount of time and that you put your boundaries in. So hers is all about boundaries and safety and standing firm. And his is all about telling the truth, telling the truth, telling the truth. And hers is about telling the truth as well, because she has to, in a partner survey, she has to open up to him and really explain, and not explain, but just share how this has affected her. Mm. And sometimes this comes as great revelation to, to to the husband. They have no idea exactly how it's affected her, you know, emotionally, physically, um, sexually, spiritually. It really is devastating. So once she starts to open up and he starts to open up with each other, but also with their groups, 
they're developing these skills of intimacy that neither of them maybe had before, or he certainly never had Mm. before because he was using um, pornography as his coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Because porn porn is not the problem. Well, porn is the problem, but porn is not um, the actual cause. Porn is actually performing a very valuable function in the guy's life. It is the solution to a much deeper problem. And this is an intimacy disorder, the fact that he needs something to cope with these uncomfortable feelings. So you can't just take the porn out. Mm-hmm. You actually need to replace it with something. You can't just say, don't look at the candy bar, don't look at the candy bar, don't look at the candy bar. You need okay. to, you know, that that doesn't work. You actually need to replace it with something so that he doesn't need to look at the candy bar anymore. Give him, give him a, a good meal. It's like, I'm not hungry anymore. I don't need this. Mm. And but that just to is- be clear, replacing the candy bar with uh by trying to kind of overcompensate in your own sex, in your sex life. That's not the, that's not the answer. No, you can't be the candy bar. That's silly. He's like, candy bar. yeah, mm-hmm. he shouldn't be eating a candy bar. He needs to eat proper food, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that is when, when people come out of this and they come out of their period of celibacy and they've been developing these intimacy skills, they say that their physical intimacy with their husband is completely transformed. Yeah. Because now they are connected emotionally and it and it serves a completely different purpose than it did before. And this is why, you know, myself and the other women on my team say, this was a gift. This was a really strange gift. Mm. You know, not one that we would have put on our, you know, Christmas list. But in hindsight, this was, you know, the best thing that ever happened to our marriage because it forced us to develop new ways of being intimacy and to learn what intimacy even was. I'd, right. I didn't have friends before like I do now that I can actually mm. share all the ugly with you know because mm. the ugly doesn't well, there's always going to be ugly there but it's, it's wonderful true. to have people to, to share it with but this particular ugly has been very hidden for a very long time particularly in the Christian community um, and so so to be able to have safe places to talk about it is incredibly helpful can I ask you because this is a question I get asked quite a bit too. How long does this journey take? <laughs> and I'm sure you'll say it's different depending on the people, but can you give some sort of parameters? Like how long does this process take for some people? Well, the books say, you know, it's a three to five year process, which makes mm-hmm. everybody go, oh, I can't wait three to five years. I mean, it happened to me in my early thirties. and like, I want children. I'm not doing this for five years. Um, but I would say if both of you are, you know, both feet in recovery and you're working as hard as you can and you're developing intimacy with your support groups and you're, um, you're going through the steps and you're, and you're working the program really hard. You're going to see progress by six, nine months. You really are. And then it's just layers of stuff. You know, my husband's Mm. not dealing with pornography anymore, but then he discovered that he'd got like resentment or anger or, you know, there's just layers of stuff. And it's like, oh my goodness, is this onion ever going to unpeel? So the process does continue for myself. I mean, I dealt with the trauma of sort of the past relationship and then, you know, the present marriage and all the upheaval and the chaos and everything. And then when it all settled down, I remember reading his literature you know, to find out what was wrong with him. And uh, I suddenly went, this really sounds like me because it was this um, chapter all about codependency and the lack Mm. of internal boundaries. And uh, and I was like, oh my goodness. And all these light bulbs went off. So then I went away and and did, you know, codependency course. And I'm like, I never knew that actually I could, I could live a different way. Mm. And that's Mm -hmm. what's 
beautiful in that all my relationships have now changed. I, I like that you, there is a, there is a timeline. I like like six to nine months sounds so hopeful for so many people. I think, but but I think you're right. There there are layers, and those layers will continue to come off. This is we are decades past having pornography yeah. in our life, and still to this day, there are certain triggers. There are certain things that just kind of bring it all back. And uh, so it it I think this is a sad thing about pornography is that it. Once it's in your life, it's never completely out of your life. It's always this, you know, a little shadow. Yeah. However, I will say, and I want to offer some hope to to people because I think a lot of men who are stuck in this addiction feel like there's no way out, that it's a life sentence. And so for them to hear even three to five years is like, oh, that's good news. <laughs> well, they can be sober from day one. You know, mm-hmm. you get in a, with it in a, <laughs> you can be, you, you can right. be because- um, you've always got the ability to pick up the phone. You know, your hand doesn't become paralyzed. You you can't. I'm, I'm not saying that like you should be. I'm just saying it, it, it's not like a compulsion. I, you know, it doesn't control your arms and legs. You you Once you've got the tools to, um, you know, stop you acting out, you can, you can use them. So it's not going to be like three to five years and then I get sober. You can get sober now, but it's everything that, the reasons why you've been using pornography, you know, and also it draining out of your head, that takes a while. But I also wanted to say um, there's a vast spectrum of experiences of wives because some some husbands are very willing and repentant and wanting to, you know, get into recovery and do whatever it takes. And then you've got guys who are really quite abusive with it. So that might take longer and the wife mm-hmm. is going to need maybe different support there in addition because that's another layer that really never gets talked about. And I'm finding certainly in the sort of the the group that I'm in, it, it's a bigger problem than I thought. You know, we've just put an episode out on uh, emotional abuse and we had our biggest download day ever. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. this hit a nerve um, because this is the part that nobody talks about. The fact that he tells me it's my fault and that I'm worthless and, that I, you know, it's and this level of cruelty is going on. And and I asked my husband, I said, these guys who are saying this to, to the wives, do they believe it? And he said, yeah, they do. They do. Their brains have been addled to that extent that they think if she wasn't like this, then I wouldn't need to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've heard that. Yeah. Oh, boy, I've heard that. many so times. I just So I just wanted to sort of give hope to wives who are dealing with that degree of abuse. Um, don't be disheartened because your journey seems longer, more arduous. There are such good specific resources for you and you will find other women who get it. The fact that he is so abusive, but yet you love him so much. You know, mm. they will, once you find your particular tribe and what I'm finding, my ministry is sort of like forming itself there are different flavors of recovery groups and you have to find the group for you that's full of other women going through similar things. Because if your husband is, you know, doing hundreds of prostitutes and is highly abusive, it's different than someone who is uh, fully repentant and just occasionally, you know, but compulsively watches pornography. That's not to say that one is better. It's just that you need, you need validating support. support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it might take a little bit of searching and a little bit of, you know, just investigating. It's not like if this doesn't, if you do something and join a group and it doesn't feel right, it doesn't mean that the process isn't working. It's just that there might be a group that's a little bit more suited to you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's true because I do I do run into women who say, well, I wouldn't call it what he's doing an addiction, um, but it's definitely affecting our marriage. And so I I, I guess I, I I can see that there is sort of a spectrum. But it's also an easy way to sort of minimize the problem, isn't it? When, well, he's not addicted, but... Well, I would say if he's not addicted, ask him to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not addicted, stop. And, and you know, and, and the question that wives need to ask is, when did you last actively or proactively seek out pornography? Mm-hmm. Not, do you struggle? Because in their heads, they can right. sort of go, uh, well, I haven't looked at it for oh, six weeks now. No, I don't struggle. And it's like, you, you need to... You need to find out what you're dealing with. And some people, some guys, some relationships, you're not going to get to the truth without a polygraph. And that is the reality because they're so entrenched in, you know, their addiction or their deception or or whatever, you're going to need more help. And that's okay. And there are people who've been down that road, who've had polygraphs and the guys failed them. And then they did another one and they passed them. Mm. And their marriages survived and thrived. doesn't matter where you start there is always hope it's just some journeys are going to be harder exactly and longer so i i want to ask you the role that now again you're you're a christ follower um you write from that perspective what role does faith what role does our relationship with jesus christ play in in all of this is I mean, yeah. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm sort of setting you up because I know the answer. I've read your book and also I, I, I share the same um, perspective, but I, I want you to talk about it. How- well, yeah, I, I love the fact that sometimes in a 12-step group where we don't mention Jesus, but we have a higher power, it feels, it feels like, I don't know, there is just that sweetness that you, you just that sweetness of God is in the room when everybody is authentically confessing and they are acknowledging their powerlessness. So i.e. that they are a sinner who needs a mighty savior, that level of just vulnerability and authenticity. I love that in a 12 step group. And quite often we don't get that so much in church because I don't know, we have our reputations or something and it gets in the way. So I do use a lot of battle language in the book, but the thing about fighting when you're fighting with a champion is that all you need to do is stand firm. If you think about David and Goliath, and this, let's face it, this does feel like David and Goliath. All he needed to do was stand up and remember his slingshot. He didn't have to, you know, fight this ginormous enemy on his own. He just needed to be willing to stand firm. And that's all wives need to do. They really do because they have a mighty champion and he will provide everything that you need. He will provide the strength and the conviction and the, the courage and the, um, the comfort mm. and the support and everything that you need. And he will provide the repentance, mm-hmm. hopefully, mm-hmm. God willing. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it doesn't always happen. But I would say that every woman who has fought for love, for her, you know, for herself, for her family, has come out of it for the better. And those women whose marriages haven't um, haven't survived because the abuse continued and the husband remained unrepentant and unwilling to get into recovery, they, the women themselves, have found peace mm. and they have found 
joy again. They have found their voice again. They have found their purpose again. Their families are happy again. And, you know, such, and, and they, and they praise God. They are, you know, my marriage didn't, didn't survive and it devastates them, but they are praising God for what he has done. And they know it's not the end of the story. You know, he is, he is working mightily even when we can't see it. Yeah. 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 And I'd love to end on that note, but I, I do need to ask you one more question. Um, is it, a, is it a reason to leave a marriage? Is it a reason to leave a marriage? If you're being, um, you, you need emotional safety. That is the bottom line. So if you are not in a, in a, in a, in an environment which is um, conducive to your mental, social, emotional, spiritual, sexual health, and you have tried, you have given him options to change and the abuse is getting worse, then you have to remove yourself either temporarily or permanently. You have to seek emotional safety for yourself and your children. So yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I, I, it is. Yeah. I, I don't think it's like an academic does, you know, is if you're like, is porn a reason to divorce? It's like people never go just I have this theoretical objection to pornography it's the abuse that comes with it it's the deception it's the deception always that devastates women yeah 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 and I think when you can if your husband is willing and if you can see it as a battle if you can join in together you're right there's there are so many resources now particularly but our resource in Jesus Christ is really and 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 to be honest that's our story it was um God revealed this to me. I did have a conversation with Neil. He immediately repented and together we kind of worked, worked our way back. Um, And so I guess I just want to close on that note, but both you and I have had this in our story in different degrees, but different, we have different stories, but it's part of our story. And, and I, I can't tell you how much I am grateful for the freedom that, we have in our relationship and in our marriage and that we get, I mean, Neil and I get to travel across the world teaching about marriage and all of that would have been lost had pornography consumed our, our lives. And I just think there's so much freedom. There's so much joy. There's so much possibility on the other side of pornography that we can't see when we're locked into this um, victim mentality. Absolutely. Because it's not about getting the same old marriage minus the porn. Yes. It's about getting something new, something yes. that you didn't even know existed. Yes. Something truly beautiful as God designed. You know, this being authentic, you know, being metaphorically naked in every aspect with your husband, it's glorious. It's it's wild. You know, there, as you say, there, the freedom. It's worth you the know, work. It's, it is worth the work. And, and, you know, just reach out for help, find the other women. That's my, my biggest takeaway that I, I want to leave because they're the ones who are going to help you, you know, take the, the, the scary steps of actually drawing that firm line in the sand and saying, we're not having porn in our marriage. And I don't care how you kick and scream. It's not happening. Rosie, I can't, I can't thank you enough for what you've done through the book, through the support groups you've established uh, I want to make sure that we point out that people can go to the Facebook page. And this this is a place for people who don't necessarily have faith background. This is a place for everyone who wants um, some help getting porn out of their marriage. And it's called Facebook Fight for Love Fellowship. Is that right? Mm-hmm. 
That's Fight right. for Love Fellowship on Facebook. And then also uh, fightforloveministries.org is your website, which is where people can access the podcast. And please, please, please buy a book. Buy this book. Pass it on to your friends. Every church should have this on its recommended list. Everybody who's involved with mentoring other couples should have this as a resource. It, it's one of the best resources I've ever encountered, Rosie. And we, um, we talk about it everywhere we go. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having the courage to write the book. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed my time with you. Oh, I have too. And uh, bless you. And we'll talk again soon. Uh, there's so much more to talk about, but um, thank you for today. You can catch other podcasts, Family Life Canada podcasts at familylifecanada.com and all sorts of other marriage and family resources. So please visit us there and we'll look forward to talking with you again on the Family Life Canada podcast.